In this New Year's episode, I'll talk about the value of taking things lightly. Plus, we'll do some story time with Karen. So here we go, episode 124, Keeping It Light in the New Year. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. New year, (laughs) a time for review and contemplation, a time for dreaming and planning and promising. And there's often this hope of this year will be different. I'll be different. Circumstances will be different. And the turning of the new year can be a great reason to say and to think from now on, things will be better. But often wound up in that hope is a niggling knowledge of past history and the pull of old habits. So too often it's a time of regrets and our light can be dimmed by that sense of those past failures and a feeling that nothing will ever change. I don't know if you guys know that U2 song, right? Nothing changes on New Year's Day. So dreams turn into hopes, which turn to maybes, (laughs) which can turn into eh, probably nots. Now you might be thinking, uh, gee, Karen, this is a really uh, uplifting way to start this New Year's podcast. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I see people working really hard and often struggling at this time of year with these New Year's resolutions. You know, I hear people thinking, you know, maybe, maybe this year will be the year that I find my true purpose. And then I see them wrestling with decisions because they find it hard to figure out, you know, what are, what are the signs that the universe is giving me? And what do those signs mean? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, a hawk landed on my fence post, which means I'm on the right path. But then everyone was canceling their appointments with me today, all of a sudden, which meant maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this after all. And I, I see that, you know, include me, <laughs> we silly humans can end up putting so much pressure on ourselves. And that's a lot of pressure to figure out what we were, you know, put on this planet for. What is the purpose I'm supposed to serve? And then we have to be able to somehow interpret all the signs and which ones are the signs and which ones aren't. And if it is a sign, what does it mean? So this year, I thought instead of wishing that you find and fulfill your true purpose, I'm going to wish you something that feels maybe easier and has more simplicity. I wish you gratitude and enjoyment for the things exactly as they are. I mean, what if we didn't have a purpose? And what if things didn't have meaning? I mean, you can give things meaning if you want, 
if it makes you happy. But I see a lot of people giving things meaning in a way that actually causes them pain and sadness. Or they think that, you know, things are happening for them. The stars are aligning and everything's conspiring, you know, for them because of some sort of specialness that they have or that they were put on the planet for. But really, that's pressure. I mean, what if you don't live up to it? Here's the thing. We're all special. Of course you're special. We're all special. And we all have all the beautiful things. They're all available to all of us. And so are the yucky things. I mean, no one is immune. But most things that are happening in this world don't really have anything to do with us. I don't think so. And I don't think that I was put here on earth for some hand-picked purpose that I can either get right or fail at or become a disappointment to others or, gosh, the universe if I don't fulfill my purpose. So I think stuff happens and the best I can do is be present and notice and observe and navigate through it, hopefully with some kindness and grace. Now, I also don't think that that means that things are just random. I mean, we have choices. We can make decisions. We can create and we can connect. But I think we make the best choices and decisions and creations and connections when we come from a place of gratitude for things exactly the way they are now. And it may surprise people that I I don't believe any of that kind of stuff about meaning or purpose. But I I think that's all really heavy stuff. And I think that life is actually a lot lighter than that. I think I'm here to enjoy. I think we're here to enjoy and to learn and to be happy. And the world is our playground. And how lucky are we to be able to play here? So I I think it's okay to live a simple life of joy and kindness. It's okay to live an audacious life full of adventure. It's okay to be happy for no reason at all. It's okay. You're okay. And you know, among us listening to this podcast, I think doing our best and feeling okay as we try to do our best for our horses, can feel hard, and it does feel important. And it's easy to feel not good enough. Because, you know, we can take the best care of our horses that we possibly can, and they can still get sick or injure themselves. And we want to be the best partners for them, but still sometimes they don't like what we do with them. And we can try to be the best communicators and listeners, and still they're going to get confused. And we can try to be the best human to be around, and still sometimes they'll walk or run away. It's okay. It's all okay. Don't give it meaning. Just keep loving the moment and learning from it. You don't need to be perfect. Just do your best and be kind first be kind with yourself. As it says in this, one of my favorite poems, Desiderata by Max Ehrman, 
And in that poem, he says, Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it's clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. So, this new year, my wish for you is lightness, simplicity, and ease. You know, I have a sign on my wall in my kitchen and it says, imperfection is beauty, madness is genius, and it's better to be absolutely ridiculous than absolutely boring. And so in the spirit of ridiculousness, I want to read a very silly story that made me smile. It doesn't mean anything, or maybe it will to you. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I enjoyed it, and I'd like to share it with you. So it's a story by Mark Twain, and it's called What Stumped the Blue Jays. It's in the public domain, so I'm allowed to read it on my podcast. So enjoy Storytime with Karen, and I'll see you in 2023. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one-week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. What Stumped the Blue Jays by Mark Twain Animals talk to each other, of course, there can be no question about that, but I suppose there are very few people who can understand them. I never knew but one man who could. I knew he could, however, because he told me so himself. He was a middle-aged, simple-hearted miner who lived in a lonely corner of California among the woods and mountains a good many years, and had studied the ways of his neighbors, the beasts and the birds until he believed he could accurately translate any remark that they made. This was Jim Baker, and according to Jim Baker, some animals only have a limited education and use only very simple words, and scarcely ever a comparison or flowery figure, whereas certain other animals have a large vocabulary, a fine command of language, and a ready and fluent delivery. Consequently, these latter talk a great deal. They like it. They're conscious of their talent, and they enjoy showing off. Baker said that after long and careful observation, he had come to the conclusion that the blue jays were the best talkers he had found among the birds and the beasts. Said he, there's more to a blue jay than any other creature. He's got more moods and more different kinds of feelings than any other creature. 
and mind you, where whatever a blue jay feels, he can put into language. And no mere commonplace language either, but rattling out-and-out book talk, and bristling with metaphor too, just bristling. And as for a command of language, why you never see a blue jay get stuck for a word. No man ever did. They just boil out of him. And another thing, I've noticed a good deal, and there's no bird or cow or anything that uses good grammar as a blue jay. You may say a cat uses good grammar. Well, a cat does. But you let a cat get excited once. You let a cat get to pulling fur with another cat on a shed nights, and you'll hear grammar that will give you lockjaw. Ignorant people think it's the noise which fighting cats make that's so aggravating, but it ain't so. It's the sickening grammar they use. Now, I've never heard a jay use bad grammar, but very seldom. And when they do, they're as ashamed as, ashamed as a human. They shut right down and leave. You may call a jay a bird. Well, so he is, in a measure, because he's got feathers on him and don't belong to no church, perhaps, but otherwise he's just as much a human as you be. And I'll tell you for why. A jay's gifts and instincts and feelings and interests cover the whole ground. A jay hasn't got any more principle than a congressman. A jay will lie, a jay will steal, a jay will deceive, a jay will betray. And four times out of five, a jay will go back on his most solemnest promise. The sacredness of an obligation is a thing which you can't cram into no blue jay's head. Now, on top of all this, there's another thing. A jay can outswear any gentleman in the mines. You think a cat can swear? Well, a cat can. But you give a blue jay a subject that calls for his reserve powers, and where's your cat? Don't talk to me. I know too much about this thing. And there's yet another thing. In the one little particular of scolding, just good, clean, out-and-out scolding, a blue jay can lay over anything, human or divine. Yes, sir, a jack, a jay is everything that a man is. A jay can cry, a jay can laugh, a jay can feel shame, a jay can reason and plan and discuss, a jay likes gossip and scandal, a jay's got a sense of humor, a jay knows when he's an ass just as well as you do, maybe better. If a jay ain't human, he better take it in his sign, that's all. Now I'm going to tell you perfectly true fact about some blue jays. When I first begun to understand jay language correctly, there was this little incident that happened here. Seven years ago, the last man in this region but me moved away. There stands his house. It's been empty ever since. It's a log house with a plank roof. Just one big room and no more. No ceiling, nothing between the rafters and the floor. Well, one Sunday morning, I was sitting out here in front of my cabin with my cat, taking the sun and looking at the blue hills and listening to the leaves rustling so lonely in the trees and thinking of the home away yonder in the States that I hadn't heard from in 13 years, when a blue jay lit on that house with an acorn in his mouth and says, hello, I reckon I've struck something. When he spoke, the acorn dropped out of his mouth and rolled down the roof, of course, but he didn't care. His mind was all on the thing he had struck. It was a knot hole in the roof. He cocked his head to one side, shut one eye, and 
put the other one to the hole like a possum looking down a jug, and then he glanced up with his bright eyes and gave a wink or two with his wings, which signifies gratification, you understand, and says, it looks like a hole. It's located like a hole. Blamed if I don't believe it's a hole. Then he cocked his head down and took another look. He glances up perfectly joyful this time, winks and his wings and his tail both and says, oh no, this ain't no fat thing, I reckon. If I ain't in luck, why, it's a perfectly elegant hole. So he flew down and got that acorn, fetched it up and propped it in and dropped it in and was just tilting his head back when the heavenliest smile on his face, when all of a sudden he was paralyzed into a listening attitude and that smile faded gradually out of his countenance like a breath off an eraser and the queerest look of surprise took its place. And then he says, why, I didn't hear it fall. He cocked his eye at the hole again and took a long look, raised up, shook his head, stepped around to the other side of the hole and took another look from that side shook his head again. He studied a while. Then he just went into the details, walked around and around the hole and spied it from every point on the compass. No use. Now he took a thinking attitude on the comb of the roof and scratched the back of his head with his right foot a minute and finally says, well, it's too many for me, that's certain. It must be a mighty long hole. However, I ain't got no time to fool around here. I got to tend to business. I reckon it's all right chance it anyway. So he flew off and fetched another acorn and dropped it in and tried to flirt his eye to the hole quick enough to see what became of it, but he was too late. He held his eye there as much as a minute, then raised up inside and said, confound it, I don't seem to understand this thing. No way. However, I'll, I'll tackle her again. And he fetched another acorn and done his level best to see what become of it, but he couldn't. He says, well, I never struck no such hole as this before. I'm of the opinion it's a totally new kind of hole. Then he began to get mad, and he held it in for a spell, walking up and down the comb of the roof and shaking his head and muttering to himself, but his feelings got the upper hand of him, and presently he broke loose and cussed himself black in the face. <laughs> I never seen a bird take on so much, take on so much about a little thing. When he got through, he walks to the hole and looks in again for half a minute, and he says, well, you're a long hole, and a deep hole, and a mighty singular hole altogether, but I've started in to fill you, and I'm darned if I don't fill you, it'll take a hundred years. And with that, he went away. Now, you never see a bird work so since he was born. He, The way he hove acorns into that hole for about two hours and a half was one of the most exciting and astonishing spectacles I ever struck. He never stopped to take a look anymore. He just hoved them in and went for more. Well, at last, he could hardly flop his wings. He was so tuckered out. He comes a, a drooping down once more, sweating like an ice pitcher, and drops his acorn in and says, Now, I guess I've got the bulge on you by this time. So he bent down for a look. If you'll believe me, when his head came up again, he was just pale with rage. He says, I've shoveled acorns enough in there to keep a family 30 years, and if I can't see a sign on one of them, I wish I may land in a museum with a belly full of sawdust in two minutes. He had just enough strength to crawl up onto the comb and lean back again against the chimney, and then he collected his impressions and began to free his mind, and I see in a second what I had mistook for profanity in the mines was only just the rudiments, as you may say.
Now another jay was going by and heard him doing his devotions and stops to inquire what was up. And the sufferer told him the whole circumstance and said, now yonder's the hole, and if you don't believe me, go and look for yourself. So this fellow went and looked and comes back and says, how many did you say you put in there? Not less than two tons, said the sufferer. The other jay went and looked again. He couldn't seem to make it out, so he raised a yell, and three more jays came, and they all examined the hole, and they all made the sufferer tell it over and over again, and they discussed it and got off as many leather-headed opinions about it as an average crowd of humans could have done. They called in more jays, and then more and more, until pretty soon this whole region bared to have a blue flush about it. There must have been 5,000 of them. And such another jawing and disputing and ripping and cussing you never heard. Every jay in the whole lot put his eye to the hole and delivered a more chuckle-headed opinion about the mystery than the jay that went before him. They examined the house all over, too. The door was standing half open, and at last one old jay happened to go down and light on it and look in. Of course, that knocked the mystery gallery west in a second. There lay the acorns scattered all over the floor. He flopped his wings and raised a whoop. Come here, he says. Come here, everybody. Hanged if this fool hasn't been trying to fill up a house with acorns. They all came a-swooping down like a blue cloud. And as each fellow lit on the door and took a glance and the whole absurdity of the contract that the first jay had tackled hit home, and he fell over backwards suffocating with laughter, and the next jay took his place and done the same. Well, sir... They roosted around here on the housetop and the trees for about an hour and guffawed over the thing like that, like human beings. If it ain't any use to tell me a blue jay hasn't got a sense of humor, because I know better. And memory, too. They brought jays here from all over the United States to look down that hole every summer for three years. Other birds, too. And they could all see the point. Except for an owl that came from Nova Scotia to visit the Yosemite, and he took this thing in on his way back. He said he couldn't see anything funny in it. But then he was a good deal disappointed about Yosemite, too. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse move in harmony and enjoy the process.